0: But this idea of looking at the life of David, who uh, we see here, this example of how we too can move forward boldly in our faith, all for the glory of God. It's not about us, it's never about us, it's always about Him. And so today we're looking in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we're looking at this idea of forward assurance, having this assurance uh, that we need as believers to propel us, to, to compel us, to move us forward uh, in our faith. We need this assurance. So you know, do you, maybe it's just me, but do you need insur- do, not insurance, but assurance, right? We need assurance in the things of life. I think about when my uh, our first baby was born, Christopher, and he was probably just a week or so old. And we had him at the doctor's office every time. There was a little sniffle, there was a little hiccup all the time. Uh, we would just, for that first month especially, anything we weren't sure about, we took him to the pediatrician. And that doctor was very gracious to us. And he said, yeah, you come on. I know that you guys just want some assurance that everything's okay and everything's good. He said, but I'll tell you that for your children, or your first one, you, we, we expect you to be here. All people who have their first ones, they, they come in a lot. He said, but by the time your second, third, or fourth child is born, that baby's going to have to be raising a flag when there's something wrong. I said, and that's exactly how it's happened, right? Little Miss Lydia? Yeah, that's right. So, but also, you know, then also then other times you would think about having assurance for our children. We'll make sure everything's okay. But I also think about trips. You know, when I take trips to different places... I don't know about you, but I always like to just have a little bit of assurance. Like if I've had to use a travel agent or have used somebody else to kind of make my arrangements or if I made my arrangements, I still like a couple weeks out before I take the trip, I want to look on my app to make sure that the tickets are right there, that everything's in place. I want to call down to the hotel, make sure that my hotel room I've got a confirmation number, if I'm gonna rent a car, that I got everything squared away so that when I get there everything's gonna be okay. I just want to have some assurance. We like to have assurance, right? Amen? We like to have that assurance that everything's okay, that all's okay. But here's the thing, is that ultimately, really in reality, ultimately we have no control over those things. You know, we think we've got everything under control, and we have this assurance, but we never know, something may happen uh, that, that, that things are not as they should be. But here's the thing, there is someone, however, who can give us assurance in life about life and he is the same one who is who's better than a doctor better than a travel agent he is the same one that we talked about last week the holy god of israel the one true living god and there is no other the one who is the holy god of israel the one whose presence was evident on the ark of the covenant if you remember that story from 2nd samuel chapter 6 when Uzzah touched the ark that he died This God is the holy, holy, holy God. We talked about that holiness. That that means the otherness, the uniqueness, the the, uh, set-apartness, if you will. And we think about who He is, and we wonder, can this God, who is that holy of a God, that majestic of a God, can He give me assurance? And the answer is, yes, He can. And so we're going to see how, through what He says to David... In 2 Samuel chapter 7. And let's walk away from today with a forward assurance that continues to help us move forward in our faith. That we have this kind of assurance from that kind of God for people like us. So in honor and reverence to the word of God. If you'd please stand as I read for 2 Samuel 7. I'll read the entire chapter today. And so we see here in uh, verse 1 chapter 7. Second Samuel. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside ten curtains. And then Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that, the, that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously since the time that I commanded judges, judges to be over my people Israel. And have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you. Who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish a throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity I will chasten him with the rod of men. And with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him. As I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. And then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. You've also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant for your word's sake and according to your own heart. You have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem to, for himself as a people, to make for himself a name. And to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself whom, from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build your house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of the Word of God. And as we look at this passage of Scripture and see... And hear what God has said to David. But also as he speaks that truth to us. And how David responded. And how we too are to respond in, in what God has said to him. Lord may it burn within us to respond the same way. To be the people of God you have called us out to be. But to have this assurance that comes from you. Lord in this world of uncertainty. We thank you that you give us that assurance. that it is not our own, but is ours only through Jesus Christ. That we who have restless hearts find our true rest in you. And so, Lord, I pray now that you would guide us and direct us. I pray, Father, that as we have heard the word read, that now as it is to be proclaimed and preached, I pray that you would have your way in all of our hearts. If there are those here that don't know Jesus... That this would be the hour of salvation for those of us who do. May it be a time of refreshing and renewal and challenge and reminder as to who you are and who we are in your sight. And God, I pray that you would work in a powerful way, that you would break down the barriers, that you'd pull down the strongholds, that you'd pierce through the darkness, that we'd have open hearts and open eyes and open ears, that you would speak and we would respond to you. But Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Well, you see the outline for today's message in the bulletin. And we're looking here uh, at forward assurance of having this assurance. And we see in this thing called the Davidic covenant certain things. And the first thing we want to see here as we see this promise from God, this theme about who God is, is the powerful hand of God. The powerful hand of God. It's This Davidic covenant that God just gave to David through the prophet Nathan is a promise from God to David. And really, it was to all of Israel, but it continues to have an effect on every one of us even today. And so we come to this story this morning with the backdrop of chapter 6 that we looked at last week. The backdrop, if you remember, of David who was going to get the ark. The Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. We see the holiness of God in that Ark. And so the Ark was going to be coming to Jerusalem. And so as you remember, they created a cart to put the Ark on, put oxen in front of it. And of course, that was the wrong way in which to get the Ark from place to place. And as they're going out, is in the front and Uzzah is in the back. And the ox stumbled and the Ark shifted and Uzzah touched and God struck and Uzzah died. And the party was over. You remember that. You remember how David was angry, but also he was afraid at this point because he feared holy God. Now we come, we see that he, not only as we talked about how he brought that into Jerusalem after the blessing of the ark in Obed-Edom's house, and we find that there's a great rejoicing and worship as it comes now into Jerusalem. So now the ark is in Jerusalem, in the tabernacle. And as David, in my mind, trying to, it doesn't really say where David is as he speaks to Nathan, but maybe he's in the, in the dining hall where they just had a meal together. Or maybe David's on his porch of the palace, enjoying a cool breeze of Jerusalem. And as he's sitting there with Nathan the prophet, maybe his eyes look out toward the tabernacle. And he has this idea. He says, Who am I that I am sitting here in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in tents? And a tent of curtains in the tabernacle, and so what he wants to do is to do something that he feels like that he is, God is greater than he is. How is it that he himself, David, is enjoying this wonderful house when God's presence is there in this tent? And so Nathan assumes that all is well with that thought and that line of thinking. And he says, "Go and do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you." But then that night, in the night, as Nathan is sleeping, God speaks to Nathan and says, hang on big boy, not quite so fast. And he gives a word which is now known as the Davidic covenant, that through Nathan to David, a promise. God is speaking a promise. And this promise is what we find here in this passage of scripture. And these words are significant. These are words that affected David and all of the nation of that day. God was promising David's house, David's kingdom, David's throne would be established forever. As well as he was promising them rest and the continuation as his people. It was a promise that God was giving that would be kept. These were words of assurance. As assurance that... David needed and the people of Israel needed against their enemies. In that territory where all the, the countries around them were opposed to them, they needed the assurance of God that, this, that David's house, his kingdom, his throne would be established forever. Against all uncertainties of life, they needed that assurance. And God gives them that assurance. And in the midst of this covenant, in the midst of this assurance, in the midst of this promise, we see a few themes that are words of assurance from God to David. And the first we see is how God reveals his powerful hand. In verse 8, did you notice there in verse 8 where he speaks through Nathan to David, and God says, Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts. God is using One of his names here, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. His name here emphasizes God's power over all the forces of the universe. He is saying, look, thus says the Lord God Almighty. As the Lord God Almighty, I am speaking to you, David. He is reminding him that he is the God who has a powerful hand. In verse 8, we see again, he says, I took you... From the sheepfold to be ruler. Verse 9. I have cut off all your enemies. I have made your name great. In verse 10. I will appoint a place for my people. I will plant them. In verse 11. I have caused you to rest from all your enemies. I will make your house. In verse 12. And then he says to David. And when you are gone. I will set up or raise up your seed after you. And I will establish his kingdom. I will establish The throne in verse 13. Over and over again. We see here this theme that God is saying to David. Look it's by my hand. My powerful hand. The powerful hand of God. You can have this assurance. Because as you look at your life. I have done these things. I have done these things. And I am going to do these things. Because he is God. So God is affirming that he was the one. Who had done and would do. These things in keeping his promise and what he had already done in David's life. So what he is saying to David, David's getting this picture here in this covenant, that David may be the king of Israel and a warrior, but, the, but that rather God is the king over all, and he is Lord. Y'all with me this morning? You see, God is giving them this idea and showing him that he is God and there is no other. And it's by his hand that these things happen. David is the, maybe the king of Israel, but God is the king over all, he is Lord. In verse 8, he says, I am the one who took you from the sheepfold to be ruler. In the ESV, it's actually a better translation where it says, to be the prince. He's still the ruler, but he is a prince. Meaning that there's a prince, there's still someone who rules over you, and God is saying... I took you from the sheepfold to be that prince, meaning that I am the one who is over you. David is still under the authority of the great king, God himself. So here's what he needs to understand, and what we need to understand is that God is the real king over Israel, and beloved, he is also the real king over your life. That's the assurance that we need to understand is that God is the king. No matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're up in the corporate ladder, you might think that you're all that, but in reality, it's God who's the king overall. Amen? He's the one, listen, because here is God, the Almighty God. He is the one who has been moving. He is the one who has worked and has defended and made things happen in the life of David and in our lives as well. He is the one who is active. He's the one who has worked. He's the one who has not left us to our own devices or our own plans, but it's by His hand that has moved and has worked. You see, what He is saying to David, and David is understanding here, is that David is not in the driver's seat, God is. David's not in the driver's seat. God is. And, beloved, to have a forward assurance to continue to help us to move forward in our faith, what a great assurance it is to know that we need to remember is that we are not in the driver's seat. God is. Now, here's the thing. You may need to know this. When you're not driving, don't try to. If mm. you're a passenger in the seat, when you're not driving, don't try to. No, no nudging the spouses. I, I see that all over the place. I, I, know, I know what you're thinking here. I had a fellow tell me one time that if he ever got pulled over by a police officer police officer, he was going to tell the officer to give his wife the ticket because she was doing more driving on the pastor's side than he was. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how that worked out. But nevertheless, in this covenant with David, what is happening here is that God is reminding David who he is and what he has done and what he will do and that David is not in the driver's seat but God is. And we need to always remember that. God is the one who is the driver. Forward assurance, here's the message from the Lord here, where he is saying, look, I am the Lord God Almighty. I am the Lord of hosts. I am the one who is the... Lord God Almighty, who is the creator, I am the one who has placed the sun into its place and set the moon and the stars into the sky. I am God, and I am the one who is working all around, and I am not absent, and I am here, and I am able. That's who God is. It's by the powerful hand of God we have this assurance. In Psalm 135, verse 6, we see, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In earth, in heaven, and in earth, in the seas, and in all the deep places. Whatever He pleases, He does. Why? Because He's God and we are not. In Isaiah forty three thirteen, Indeed, before the day was, I am He. And there's no one who can deliver out of my hand, I work, and who will reverse it? Before the day was, God says, I am He. Now this is probably pointing back to creation. Before the first day was ever created, God is And just as that is the case in the beginning of time, beginning of of the the creation of the world, you need to understand also that before your day ever begins, beloved, God already is. Amen? He's already ahead of you. He's already there. He's already working. He's already moving. He is at work, and He is God. There used to be a bumper sticker years ago about that God is my co-pilot. Well, in reality, beloved, we need to understand that God is not my co-pilot. God is the pilot. Amen? Amen? He's the pilot. We need, to hear, we need to hear that to have this forward assurance that I can trust him because he's the one who's in the driver's seat. He's the one who is the pilot. I don't need to try to reach over and take the steering wheel away from him because he's in control and he knows what he's doing and he knows where he's going. And beloved, he does not need directions from me. Amen? We trust him. It's by his hand. And so through that... We know that because of who he is and what he's done in David's life, he has this assurance. But in our lives also, when we look back in our lives and see what God has done in and through our lives, we stand in awe of that as well. By the powerful hand of God, we have that assurance. And so we see the powerful hand of God. And then secondly, we see the pursuing heart of God. Now now this is just mind-boggling here. When we stop and pause here, And we think about who God is as we think about last week and we think about the holiness of God and the very presence of God, just that Uzzah was to touch the ark, Uzzah dies. He is struck dead because of the holiness of God and the presence of God. It causes David to pause and it causes us to say, wow. Wow. And we think about this holiness and the greatness and the otherness and the set-apartness, if you will, of who God is. And we have to wonder, as we've talked about this this second point, the pursuing heart of God. And we ask, is this the same God who would pursue me? Well, let's take a look. Look look, Let's look at verses 5 through 7 here and see as God is speaking here through Nathan to David. He says, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt. Even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Okay, pastor, we got that. So where do you see the pursuing heart of God there? Well, let's just look at that. Did you notice what God says? He he said, I'm the one who brought the children of Israel. He said, he moved about with the children of Israel. Think about this now. This is God, the presence of God, holy God, the creator of the universe, who is greater and stronger and mighty than those volcanoes that we see on TV over in Hawaii. This is a great and awesome God who knows you intimately, and yet he says about these children of Israel that he was with them. He brought them and that he was with them. He says in verse 8, I took you out of the sheepfold. In verse 9, I have been with you. In verse 10, I have appointed a place for you, my people. Verse 11, I have given a place of rest for you. And so what God is saying, as we see the pursuing heart of God, he is saying and revealing, I love you, and you are my people. That's what he is saying here to the children of Israel. He is the God who is sovereign. He is the God who is all-powerful. He is the God who is holy, holy, holy. And yet he is the one who pursues them and takes the initiative in their lives. And beloved, here's what you need to understand, is that that God of that day is the same God today. And he is still pursuing us. Man, that just is amazing, isn't it? But we see that all in the scripture. Where he is a pursuing God. He's the one who came to Adam and Eve. He created them, but he came to them. He came to Abraham. He came to Moses. He came to David. He came to the disciples. He came to Paul on the road to Damascus. And he comes to us. And he calls us to himself. Why? Because he is our creator. And he loves us. And he wants us to be in a relationship with him. He pursues us as a shepherd that is looking for his sheep. Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that that's what happened. And when he's using, that that is an analogy that where the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. It's a shepherd that is looking for the sheep. Amen? Amen. He is pursuing. He's looking after, going after that sheep. My mind, as I read those passages of Scripture and think about them, I cannot help but to think about an issue that took place in our family years ago. Christopher was still at home, and uh, we were involved in the 4-H. And somebody had the bright idea that our family needed to raise a sheep. <laughs> and so in this 4-H, they, you would get this sheep and you would keep it and take care of it. Uh, and then you would take it to a sheep show and what have you. But uh, we, they brought the sheep to our house. We had a pen that was put up, fencing all around wasn't a great you know, great place, but it had food in it, and it had been very comfortable for that sheep. And so what happened is that they, they brought this one sheep to us, and Christopher walked out with his leash in his hand, and he goes down, and somehow or another, I forget what exactly happened, but the gate was left open, and 10 minutes after the sheep arrived, the sheep took off. And, in, and forever, I will have this image in my mind of Christopher running down the road with a leash in his hand with a sheep way ahead of him and him chasing the sheep because it was a sheep on the lamb. <laughs> I knew you liked that. All right. Anyway, it, it was gone. And so we, we worked on trying to, we went days, hours, and days trying to find this sheep. We would hear reports. ...from people down the road. It it got in the newspaper, okay, that the sheep was missing. And so we got phone calls from people 10 miles away. They had seen the sheep. And so we took off to try to find the sheep because Christopher needed to find this sheep. It even got to the point where weeks later I was standing in the pulpit preaching... Just just getting started. And I look out of the corner of my eye and Christopher comes out of the side door and comes over to his mama and has words with her real quick. And then all of a sudden he goes back out again. And I found out later that they, the sheep had been sighted behind the church. And he, <laughs> and he wanted to get permission from his mama to go and, and try to catch the sheep. And they, so they got these four wheelers and they still never caught the sheep. All they caught was a piece of wool that was on the barbed wire. But if only that sheep would have known. You see, probably what happened is the sheep was consumed by a predator in that area. But if the sheep just had known that there was a shepherd who really wanted to care for him. He had all the food that he could ever want. He was was going to take good care of him. But the sheep would rather be wild and go and was consumed by a predator. Beloved, that is our story. Isn't it? We have a shepherd who knows us as sheep. And we think we want to go our own way and do our own thing, but what we don't know is that there is a predator out to destroy us and to devour us. And there's a shepherd who loves us more so than what my son loved that little sheep, I can tell you that. And he loves us and he has a way. He's calling us and he's wooing us and he's pursuing us because he knows what's best. And he has what's best for us, a place of rest, a place of satisfaction, a place of being in his presence. It amazes me that we serve a God who is the creator of this universe, but yet who loves me intimately and pursues me so diligently. He did that for my salvation, but even once I have been saved, he constantly pursues me to come and walk with him. Y'all with me? He constantly is calling me to get up in the morning and come and spend time with Him in prayer and reading His Word. He pursues me. What an awesome God we serve. This assurance, this is the assurance we need that yes, He is the Holy God, the Almighty God, but also God who is with us, who has pursued us and desires for us to walk with Him. He has a place of rest for us, that is found in Jesus, His Son. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, we say Jesus said, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find what rest for your souls." This pursuing heart of God—he's the Almighty, the Holy, magnificent God—but the God who created you and takes the initiative and pursues you, that you may be in relationship with Him. This forward assurance. It's good to know the powerful hand of God and at the same time also know the pursuing heart of God where he's drawn us to himself. But then thirdly, also the promise-filled hope of God. You see, in this Davidic covenant, there is a promise that God is making. God tells David in this covenant that he would have a house forever, verse 16. A house forever, a kingdom forever, a throne forever, meaning that the line of David would continue on. His dynasty and his kingdom would live forever, would never end. It would be forever. This forever is eternal. It would be unconditional in nature of the promise to David and Israel. That no matter what God is saying, no matter what. It's not dependent upon you and your obedience or your action. It depends upon me. I am going to keep this promise. It was dependent upon, not upon David, but dependent upon the promise of God. He is saying, I am going to keep my promise to you. Why? Because in verse 15 he says, my mercy shall not depart from him. My steadfast love. That's his unconditional promise. They could have, the people of, people of Israel, David, could have assurance and hope because God had made a promise. This promise that God gives to David that the throne of his kingdom would last forever, well, it would ignite messianic hopes among God's people, and it would energize the people of God because they have Assurance. But pastor, that was David, that was then, that was the children of Israel. How can I have this same assurance of what is to come? Well, here's what you need to know. Is that this promise that God makes to David? Well, what happens is that God makes this promise to David. It points through David's son Solomon to another king. A man by the name of Jesus. This Jesus is the descendant of David whose kingdom would last forever because this is no ordinary man. This is fully man, fully God, Jesus, the Son of God. And so the promise here was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, verse 32 and 33, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And he says to her about this baby who's going to be born of her, He says, He will be great, and we'll be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of His kingdom there will be no end. And then we find also when Jesus lived His life, His last few days on this earth... In the upper room at the end of his time on earth, Jesus was celebrating the Passover with the disciples. And he said in Luke twenty two twenty, he says, This cup, the cup that we just took reminds us of that. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Here is the promise that I have for you because of my blood that is being shed for you. A promise of hope. A promise that will never end. Amen? A promise that we have from God. We have hope in Jesus. So the people from David's time to Jesus' birth, they would have been looking for that king to come throughout the history of Israel. And he did come. His name is Jesus. He's the fulfillment of that covenant. And every covenant, he's the fulfillment of every promise. He is how we have rest. And he is how the enemy is defeated. God kept his promise to David to Israel, and he has kept and is keeping his promise to us, that no matter what we may face, we can have assurance that because his promise was fulfilled and we have hope. Listen, friends, even if you're on the mountaintops today, you need to understand it will not always be this way, and you can have assurance, and that assurance is found in Jesus. Even today, if you're not on the mountaintops, but you're down in the valley, you need to understand something. It will not always be this way. And you can have assurance. And that assurance is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, Pastor, what assurance do I have? I hear you talking about this assurance, but, but just what assurance do I have? Well, what assurance do you have? Well, let me tell you what you have. He's your creator and you're the created. Amen. He is your life and he is your hope and he is your place of rest. Listen, he is your anchor in the midst of the storms. He is your defender. He is the redeemer. He is the just judge and he is the almighty and he is the Lord of hosts and he is the one who has pursued you and continues to pursue you. He is the one who rescues. He's the one who does the work. He's the one who will guide you. He's the one who will guard you. He's the one who will keep his promises to you. He's the one who's given us a home and he's the one who's given us the hope of heaven. Friends, he's the one who dwells with you and the one who moves with you and moves for you and he knows who you are. That's the assurance that we have. And who this is, the holy king of the universe knows you. Wow. Amen? Wow. So then how do we respond to that? Just like David did. You see what he did here? So that's the next point. How to respond to God. Matter of fact, usually I give you a to do. Well, this is the to do, all right? How to respond to God. What does David do? We see, first off, that David marvels. God has just given him all this information, given him. This promise, this covenant, this assurance. The holy king of the universe, holy God, making David a promise for him and the children of Israel that his throne will last forever and giving him rest and rest from their enemies. Verse 18, and then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Can you imagine? He just sat before the Lord. He marveled. At the greatness of God. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? Y'all with me there? Can you you feel that? Who am I? Who who am I, O Lord God? And, And what is my house that you have brought me this far? Who am I? And beloved, when we think about how God is so holy and so set apart and so wonderful and so magnificent and yet he would pursue us and give us this promise of the hope that we have in Jesus forever. Beloved, we just have to be in awe of that and marvel at this, at what he has done and who he is and what he's doing and what he will do. And let us marvel then at the Lord in our lives that who am I that he would love me who am I that he would pursue me who am I that he would know me and take the initiative in my life because he is holy God and yet he desires to walk with me in fellowship and a personal relationship I am in awe beloved so this week would you preach the gospel to yourself again and take time and sit in his presence and marvel and just marvel at the greatness and the goodness and the grace of God. Amen? And not only does he marvel, but he also magnifies. We're to magnify. We see in verse 21, 22. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you. Verse 26. So let your name Let your name, let your name be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. So beloved, let us do this. This is how we respond. We marvel at who he is and what he has done in my life, but then we magnify him. It is all about him. It is all for his glory. And and David is magnifying him because David is learning of God's work and what God is doing. As we see God doing great and mighty things, we magnify him. What he's done in our own lives, what he's done up until this very moment, we magnify him. You know, many times we look at our lives and we think about, okay, where was God in the midst of this? So as we're walking through life, okay, well, God's here at this special event, and God's here at this time, and God's over here at this time. And then I know he'll be with me over here, but beloved, that's not how God works. God is with you from the time that he formed you in your mother's womb. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He is walking with you. He is working in and around you. He is working around uh, other people in your life. He is constantly working, constantly moving with you, guiding, guarding, directing, leading for his glory. You be used for his glory. And so as we look, and sometimes we can't see them until we get through something and look back and we see the fingerprints of God in our lives. But as we think about who God is and what he's done, we magnify him. So we marvel, we magnify, and then we mission. All through this passage of scripture where David is giving this thanksgiving to God, over and over again we see that David calls himself the servant, the servant, the servant, nine times. He's saying, I'll do whatever, whatever you want, Lord. I'm on mission for you. I'm going to follow you. I'm your servant. You're my master. You rule, you rule over me. I'm your servant. So we're to be on mission for him, whatever God wants. So in response to who God is and what he's done in our lives, we marvel, we stand in awe of him, we magnify him in all for his glory, and we are mission. I'm your servant, whatever you want me to do. Oh, the difference that Jesus makes in our lives, amen? Oh, the assurance that we have from holy God because of Jesus, because of his love, the grace for me as holy God. Let me tell you this real quick story, and I'll close with this, all right? There's a little girl that was born, a baby that was born, a baby girl born in the family of some Puritans in a uh, very strong Puritan ancestry in New York back in March of 1820. And as a baby, this little girl had a bad eye infection. And with this eye infection, there was a poorly trained doctor who applied a mustard a plaster poultice to her eyes and it left her blind for her entire, her entire life. A few months later, not long after that, her father became ill and he died. Her mother went to work as a maid and her grandmother had to take care of her. But fortunately, her grandmother was a godly woman who taught her and because this little girl was blind, she vividly described the physical world that was around her. This grandmother, this godly grandmother, also read the Bible to this little girl and explained it to her very carefully. About the age of 14, this little girl went to the New York Institute for the Blind And then she went on to teach at that school for years after she finished that school. She taught. Later on, as an adult, she fell in love with a fellow and married this fellow student that she had been in school with years before. And as they got married, they had a child together, but also the infant also died. So this woman had experienced great heartache, but also joy in her lifetime because she had the assurance of Jesus in her life as she came to know Christ as her Savior early on. Throughout her life, it came. she had this uncanny knack of being able to write poetry, making words come together that rhyme, and found out that she would even make many Christian songs through the years. And one day, she was visiting a friend by the name of Mrs. Knapp, who was a musician of sorts. And Mrs. Knapp got over on the piano and began to play a tune. And she looked over at this lady now, and she says, When I play this tune, what do you think this tune is saying? And at once... This lady, whose name, by the way, is Fanny Crosby, knelt in prayer for a few moments. And then she arose and she declared, that tune, it says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. And so at that moment, Fanny Crosby then began to dictate those verses as they came to her right away to Mrs. Knapp, who wrote them down and fitted them to the melody just as it is sung today. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit and washed in His blood. For this is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight angels descending, bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior, well, I'm happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness and lost in His love. For this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Beloved, I just wonder, do you have that assurance today? The assurance of knowing that Jesus is your Savior. If you don't know him, you can. A simple step of faith, trusting the Lord, turning from your sin, turning to him, embracing, believing that he's the Son of God who died for you and rose again. Do you have that assurance? For he truly does pursue you and calls you to himself. Will you answer that call? And for those of us who are believers, Know that He is constantly pursuing us, inviting us to continue to walk with Him and to talk with Him and to spend time with Him and let Him be in the driver's seat. Let Him be the king over your life because He's the shepherd and He knows what's best for the sheep. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You'd have Your way in all of our hearts and lives today. We pray that You'd speak to us Lord, for those who may not know you, that they would say yes as you're calling them to yourself. For those of us who do know you, Lord, may we say yes to you by way of saying, I want to walk with you more. Lord, I want to spend more time with you. Yes, you are a holy, God, but yet you have pursued me. You're walking with me. You desire relationship with me. So, Lord, may you have your way in all of our hearts and all of our lives. We'll yield ourselves to you, surrendering to you, submitting to you today. So Lord, I pray now that as we come to this invitation that those here who don't know Jesus, that they would take this opportunity to come and speak to either Pastor Luke or Pastor Joe or myself. And Lord, let us pray with them. Or maybe there are those who just need to recommit their hearts and lives to you saying, I want to be on that path that he has laid out for me. I want to hear the voice of my shepherd. I want to know the direction that I need to go. I want him to be in the driver's seat. I'm tired of trying to drive. Father, I pray that this would be that time of surrender to you. In all of our hearts and all of our lives. Maybe they're just somebody to come and pray. But whatever the case may be, Lord, may may you have your way in all of our hearts for your glory, honor, and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.